All right, well, let's pray. This is one of those sermons that you don't want to miss, so give me your best ear. and Really give me your focus tonight. This is prophetic. I just got back from spending some time seeking the Lord, and this is what the Lord gave me. And so I'm going to open with prayer, and then we'll dive into this. But Lord, we all agree together as we come in Jesus' name and through his blood. Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for everyone that's here. Thank you for your word, and we praise you, Lord. You alone are holy and worthy of all the praise. Lord, we ask you tonight as we get into the word of the Lord, Lord, that you would anoint and speak through me everything that needs to be spoken. Lord, let the Holy Spirit move upon every single person that's going to be hearing this live or through a recording, through podcasts, or whatever. Lord, right now we ask you that the Holy Spirit move upon every one of us and help us, Lord, to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus. That we're really going to get locked in and not be distracted. But your Holy Spirit would move upon our minds and our hearts. And help us to be good, fertile soil. To be able to receive. Lord, that by the Spirit of God, anoint our eyes and ears. Give us eyes and ears of the Spirit. Give us revelation. As Paul prayed in the book of Ephesians, enlighten the eyes of our heart. Lord, give us revelation. And Lord, I pray tonight that, that this will go out as living seeds of truth that are sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, taking root, producing a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Let your Holy Spirit water those seeds. Let the seeds of truth be established, Lord. Let them bear fruit. And I ask you that the winds of your Holy Spirit are going to carry this seed of truth out everywhere it's supposed to be and make sure to accomplish everything it's supposed to accomplish. Lord, let this be like a bright light shining and dispelling the darkness and bringing revelation knowledge let it be a hammer that breaks down strongholds let there be the washing of the water of the word and let this be powerful and effective and fruitful for your kingdom let everything be accomplished in through this it's your will to be done and we stand on the promise lord that your word will not return void but accomplish that which you sent it forth to do now the bible says the birds of the air try to steal the seed so we agree together right now in jesus name that we bind anything of the devil in any way that would try to hinder this word from being preached try to hinder it from getting where it's supposed to be or doing what it's supposed to do we bind you in the name of jesus right now you will back off and go lord let your angels just clear all that out there's not going to be any resistance or any hindrance but it's going to be a powerful time in the word of the lord and lord we thank you for your word and thank you that we're able to be here tonight and receive from you and even as i'm ministering let the holy spirit minister to your people as well in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to get into this. Um, while I was out seeking the Lord for about a week, um, there was revelation knowledge that came to me. And I'm going to share some of that. It's gonna, it has to do with spiritual warfare. But what I've been dealing with through this series of heritage and roots is I believe very strongly that River of Life, we are right on the cusp of a major breakthrough in this ministry what we've been praying about for years i feel is about to open and as we're about to come into that it's been an amazing year god has realigned me with some amazing people some people that that are covering this ministry um, there's just been this this whole year the pentecost conference there was such a significant impartation there it's been an amazing time, and God's been preparing us. 
And one of the things the Lord has been speaking to me as of late is this, that we need to make sure that we remain locked into our root system. You know why a lot of things are floating off into weird deception and worldliness and, and things that, that, you know, you think, how did they get there? Well, one of the reasons how they got there is because they're not connected to the proper root system, if there's any root system at all. And so I've been dealing with, I, I didn't get into the Hebrew roots. I'm, God may lead me to do that. That's important. But I've been dealing with like our Pentecostal roots. And I've been dealing with the revival roots that we have. Well, tonight I felt also that the Lord wanted me to remind all of you that his hand is upon us in River of Life to deliver the captives. This ministry has always had a special anointing and a ministry of seeing people set free. And we need to make sure and keep our root system strong in this area. And that's why I felt the Lord tell me grave clothes. And, I, and I'll explain it as we go. But this is part of our roots is to help people get victory in spiritual warfare and to get breakthroughs and deliverance. How many of you guys know if somebody is really going to give their life to Jesus and then they're really going to be serious about it they're not playing games they're going to really go after God they're willing they're desperate to whatever they got to give up whatever they got to do to go after him how many knows the Lord is going to meet them and set them free there are some people that aren't as serious about it and they struggle but those that are really going to be serious God will deliver you and that's what I felt tonight just to remind everybody that I believe, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm going to go ahead and say this. I strongly believe that we're about to see a major revival, not just in River of Life, but we're about to see a major move of God in this nation and around the world. And what I believe is this. I believe that we've seen several revivals down through history. And these revivals have been getting us back on track. You had the Great Awakenings, you had Cane Ridge, you had Azusa, you had the Latter Rain and the Jesus movements in the 60s. All of these different revivals were expressions of the Holy Spirit that were bringing things back to the body that were lost. The message of salvation really that began in 1517 with a German monk named Martin Luther, but the, the gospel being restored. But ever since then, the Holy Spirit has been restoring different aspects. I believe that this is going to be probably the greatest by far actually I believe this is probably going to be the greatest revival and it's the most intense because I believe that the Lord's about to come and I believe that he's going to get us ready for that and this revival is going to however many years it's going to be but this revival is going to purify a bride and this revival is going to deliver people that are struggling so that we can be ready to meet the Lord in the air. And so this is what I believe this revival is about. It will be like every revival. There's going to be a strong message of repentance. There's going to be an emphasis on soul winning. That needs to be foundational. And it will be there. But in this particular move of God. Yes there's going to be major healings and miracles. Probably like we've never seen. But I believe the Lord is going to move in a special way. To set people free and to sanctify them unto him because he's getting us ready to meet him in the air and so that's going to be a real emphasis in this revival 
And just like every other revival that's been in times past, I believe people will be baptized in the Holy Ghost. They're going to, you know, be empowered and, and refreshed and all of that. All that's going to be there. But I believe there's going to be a special grace for people to be set free and sanctified unto God. And so with that said, this is what I believe God's saying to River of Life. This is what I believe is about to happen. Micah 2.13 is very prophetic for what's about to happen at River of Life. It says this, the breaker. Now this is talking about the Messiah. It's talking about Jesus. The breaker. How many you know Jesus is the one who brings breakthrough? Okay, the breaker who opens the way shall go up before them, liberating them. They will break out pass through the gate and go out so their king goes before them the Lord at their head I believe that there's been some you know those that have been here during the prophetic sermons I did some of which I didn't put out public but you know that there's been like giants in the land but the Lord is about to go before us and clear out the giants in the land so the hindrances the stubborn things the Lord, the God of breakthrough, will he'll go before us and he will break through and he'll clear away. That's what I feel like the Lord is saying to us. As I, as I have been spending time with the Lord, I feel the Lord saying, I'm about to open, open it up for you. I'm about to break it open for you. See, only God can do what we're believing him to do. But that's exactly where we need to be. I'm going to get into later about different spiritual warfare aspects I feel the Lord is telling me about. And in that, I'm going to deal with Leviathan and deal with pride. But you know why a lot of people really don't pray like they should? Because of pride. Because they feel like, I got this. How many knows that we really don't got this? <laughs> we need the Lord. And see, people that are really humble are people of prayer. I mean, they're crying out to the Lord. Lord, I'm not, you know, I don't got all this figured out. You know, we don't got it all together. We need you to come down and move in power, you know. And that's, that's humility. And God will show up for the humble. And so I feel like the Lord is about to break things open. He's going to make a way somehow. Down through the years, he's given me glimpses of this where when Jesus showed up, and he told Peter and them to cast the net on the other side. And Peter and them, you know, this would have sounded so stupid to them in the natural because they're professional fishermen. And they've been fishing all night. And just casting the net a few feet over isn't going to do anything in the natural. And so to them, it went, listen to what I'm trying to say. It goes against everything that the natural human mind thinks is the way it should be done. The Lord shows up and says, just cast the net on the other side. I'll bring in this harvest supernaturally. I'll do it. That's what I feel like God's about to do. He's going to break something open that is sovereign and supernatural. It's something only he can do. And it's something that because we've been praying and fasting and crying out for a period of time, the Lord is going to step in and do it. So that's number one. And number two... I felt, again, an emphasis on the deliverance. You remember Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. In John eleven forty four, when Lazarus came out of the tomb, remember what he looked like? He was, he was raised from the dead, 
but yet he still had his grave clothes on. He was still bound. And that's a perfect picture and type of what I'm trying to say. There's many people that have accepted the Lord as their Savior, and they've been born again, but they are still wrapped up in all kinds of grave clothes. They can barely walk. They're having to hop around. Their ankles are bound up. Their hands are bound up. They want to serve the Lord, but they're struggling. And something has gripped their life. And the Lord wants to come in. What does the Bible say in Luke 4.18? Jesus has come to deliver the captives and set those free in darkness. That was a large part of Jesus' ministry. As a matter of fact, the very first major miracle that Jesus did, I'm not talking about the water to wine and all that. I'm talking about when he was um, clothed with the Holy Spirit and came out of the wilderness time. And he really entered his ministry. One of the first things Jesus did was deliver somebody from a demon. So Jesus' ministry has always been about delivering people from the powers of darkness. And so Jesus called to Lazarus, who had been dead, and said his hands and feet wrapped, still wrapped in burial clothes, a burial napkin, something around his face. And Jesus said, free him from those wrappings and let him go. I believe that that is what the Lord is going to do in and through River of Life. And I believe in many other places too that he's going to save the lost in this revival. I'm talking about a major harvest of souls. But there's going to be a special move that he's going to do where he's also going to say, get all the grave clothes off of them. So it's not just a matter of them being raised to new life in Christ, but they're going to be set free. Well, you guys are quiet tonight. And this is another thing I really felt. See, the deliverance ministry has about three basic aspects to it. The first is that you have to cancel any legal ground or any legal permission. So the enemy has had some kind of a doorway through personal sin, generational sin, whatever, where the enemy has found a way in and he's got some kind of a legal right to be doing what he's doing. Once that is challenged by the blood of Jesus, that that sin is forgiven and that that person is washed in the blood of the lamb, that legal ground is canceled, then the enemy has to go. But the first thing is, is you've got to cancel any legal ground that they have. So any involvement and stuff that's in your past where you open yourself up to the demonic through the occult or sexual sins or drugs or whatever, that's got to be confessed and repented of and the Lord cleanse you and then you can be free. So does that make sense tonight? Number one is canceling the legal ground. Number two is destroying the works of the devil. So anything where the devil has still had curses and strongholds and bondages and addictions and mental torment and whatever it is, demonic attack against people's health, wherever the enemy's at work, his works that are oppressing people, then we need to take authority and destroy his works. And finally, number three, is driving out any demonic spirits that are still lingering there. And you have to make sure and start with the strong man or you're never going to get everything taken care of until you deal with him. But deal with the demonic. 
So that's the basic pattern. Cancel the legal rights, destroy Satan's works, drive out the enemy. And this is another thing I felt the Lord saying as I've been seeking him in prayer. Down through the years, things like this have come to me. But I want to read briefly the story of Gideon. And then after I get done with that, I'm going to give you some prophetic insight into spiritual warfare concerning these last days and some things I feel like River of Life has faced in the past. And this will connect with what I've taught on in the past about things that were Freemasonic and things in this region recently, about maybe six weeks ago, whatever, whenever we talked about that. But in Judges 6, starting with verse 1, it says the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of Midian, the Israelites made themselves dens, which are in mountains and caves and strongholds. For whenever Israel had sown their seed, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came against them, they would encamp against them and destroy the crops as far as Gaza and leave no nourishment for Israel, no ox or sheep or donkey, for they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came like a locust in great multitude. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So they wasted the land as they entered it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the Israelites cried out to the Lord. And when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites who said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. Now the hand of all that oppressed you, I drove them out from before you and gave you this land. And I said to you, I'm the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak at Orpah, which belonged to Joash the Beerzite. Now let me just stop here for a minute. Why did the Midianites come in? The legal permission was because Israel had gotten into idolatry. Are you following me? I'm showing you the pattern of deliverance. They began to get into sin as they were getting into the worship of other gods, in particular Baal and Asherah. And God allowed the enemy now to begin to bring them into bondage and impoverish them and, and oppress them. And so the angel of the Lord appeared to Joash's son, whose name was Gideon. And Gideon was beating wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. So he was in a place trying to, to beat this wheat where it would have been difficult to do, but he was doing it there to hide. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of courage. And Gideon said to him, O oh, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this befallen us? Now I want you to remember he's asked that question in just a moment. Gideon said, why are we being oppressed by the enemy? And where are all the Lord's wondrous works which our fathers told us, saying, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord turned, and the, the Lord turned to him and said, 
Go in this your might, and you will save Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And Gideon said to him, O Lord, how can I deliver Israel? My clan is the poorest in Manasseh. I am even the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I'll be with you, and you will smite the Midianites as one man. So, I mean, you guys know when the Lord is with you, nobody can stand against you. And God seems to always choose the guy that is the least qualified, the one that nobody else would pick. The Lord seems to delight in doing that. Now remember, Gideon asked the question, why is this befallen us? Now look at verse 25. This is important because this is what the Lord's been speaking to me. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, that night the Lord said to Gideon, take your father's bull, the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah pole that is beside it. Now, Gideon's asking, why has all this befallen us? And there's an altar to Baal with an Asherah pole, which is a phallic symbol, in his father's backyard. Is anybody else seeing what I'm saying here? I mean, you're thinking to yourself, well, Gideon, it, you know, you probably should figure out if it's even in your backyard that you're worshiping Baal, maybe why the Lord is handing you over to be oppressed of the enemy. But the Lord told him, he said, I want you, Gideon, to go and you're going to pull down that altar to Baal. I want you to cut down that Asherah pole, that phallic symbol. And here's what he said I want you to do. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this stronghold with stones laid in proper order. Then take the second bull and offer a burnt offering, a burnt sacrifice, with the wood of the Asherah, which you shall cut down. So you know what the Lord was doing there? He wanted to free Gideon from his grave clothes so that Gideon could serve the Lord. Because Gideon was in bondage. See, Gideon's own household had an altar to Baal with an Asherah pole in his backyard. That is legal permission. And the Lord said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tear that down. And I want you to put the blood of my offering on top of it. And you're going to cancel this thing in your family. I'm going to break this curse and this stronghold for you. You see what I'm saying? So you can be freed up from your grave clothes. So you can do what I've called you to do. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was too afraid of his father's household... And the men of the city to do it by day, he did it by night. Now let's just stop for a moment. These are God's people. Why are they defending Baal to the point that Gideon has to be afraid for his life to tear down Baal's altar? There are sometimes, there are things that are like idols among God's people. Pet doctrines, traditions of men, things that are just not biblical. But they will defend them to the death. And if you challenge him, buddy, you're in for a fight. Now Gideon did it by night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar bell was cast down, the Asherah was cut down beside it, and the second bull was offered on the altar which had been built. So Gideon took the blood and he canceled this legal permission. He shut this gate of hell that Satan had had to his family. 
And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they searched and asked, and they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, has done this thing, the men of the city commanded Joash, Bring out your son that he might die. These are God's people that are going to kill him for going against Baal worship. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal? In other words, why are you going to fight Baal's battles? If Baal's this great God, don't you think he can defend himself? If he's got a problem with Gideon, maybe Baal himself can attack Gideon. So therefore, verse 32, on that day he called Gideon Jerubbaal, meaning let Baal contend against him because he had pulled down his altar. Then the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together crossing the Jordan. Now remember the Bible said they were like locusts. There was a great number of these people that were so many you could not number them and you could not number their camels. Just a huge group of people. And this is the scripture I love. Once Gideon dealt with the Baal in his life and in his bloodline, once he dealt with this, he got it under the blood. His grave clothes now have been broke off him. Look at what the Bible says. Verse 34, But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with himself and took possession of him, and he blew the shofar, and the clan of Abiezer, which I guess is his father's household, gathered to him. But look at that. The Holy Spirit clothed him with power. Once he broke free from those grave clothes, once he dealt with this junk in his life and his family, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him to do what he was called to do. And I feel that that is the message for River of Life, that God is doing like a final work where he's bringing the blood over areas that have been stubborn, that have been frustrating, and God is going to deal with the things that need to be dealt with. And then he's going to come upon us in a way he never has before. Hear what I'm saying because it's about to happen. I'm just telling you, you can write it down. It's coming. The Spirit of God has been upon us in the past, but not like he's about to come. There's going to be a major increase. But God is doing like a deep purging in all of us. In Judges 7 verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give you the Midianites into their hands. Let Israel boast about themselves and say, My hand has delivered me. So Gideon, to make the long story that you all know short, Gideon ended up with 300 men. Going against a group of people the Bible says were so numerous, they were like locusts, you couldn't even count them. But it's interesting how Gideon won the battle. In verse 19, Gideon, he split them up into three groups of a hundred. And the men who were with him came on the outskirts of the camp in the middle watch and the guards had just been changed. And they, look at this, they blew the shofar and they smashed the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies all together, they blew the shofar and the Bible says they shouted the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round the camp. And the people of Midian began to be thrown into confusion. And they began to slaughter each other. And they began to flee in terror. And God himself slaughtered the enemy. All Gideon's men did was blast a shofar 
and break some pitchers and it was a light that shined and the, the Lord just threw him into confusion. What I'm trying to get at here is once Gideon dealt with the stuff in his life that needed to be dealt with, excuse me, the Holy Spirit came upon him and from that time on, God gave him a supernatural victory. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? It's a supernatural victory. This was not something that they trained for. This was not something they could have done if their life depended on it. As far as we know, there were hundreds of thousands of these soldiers. It would have been one against thousands. There's no way they could have done this, but God himself did it. That's what I'm trying to say. The Lord is about to, for River of Life, I'm telling you, he's about to step in. He's going to open up a door. It's going to be sovereign and supernatural. He himself is going to open this up. And himself, he is going to cause a harvest to come in. And he's going to give a victory that only he can do. But in that, he will get all the glory. And don't ever think that, well, you know, I'm the least and we're the least and all this. Because that may be true. I don't know. I don't really care about that. God is always delighted in using the least to do the greatest. He used 300 men and he used Gideon, who was a nobody, to see the greatest victory. And so I'm going to get into this very quickly. I want to touch on three areas. And I had to diagram this because in those that are watching this, you need to make sure and click on the notes because it isn't going to make sense to you unless you can see the diagrams. But there's three spiritual forces in these last days I want to deal with. Quickly, I need to cover this. It has to do with Baal. It has to do with Jezebel. And it has to do with Leviathan. But it's like a satanic triangle. And you'll see in this diagram in the middle where there's a triangle, you guys have seen this symbol where it's like a raised pyramid, raised above a pyramid, and it has the eye of Lucifer in it, the all-seeing eye, the eye of Horus, whatever you want to call it. And that represents Lucifer and his false light. But just like a flower, because see, Satan cannot be everywhere at once. He's very limited. And so what the devil has done is this. Just like a flower will open, and you have like the, the center of that flower, like a bud in there. Just like there's something in the center of the flower, you have this flower opening up, and it's like the devil has this triangle. He's in the center, but he has distributed his authority and power out to these powerful beings. These are not little, you know, <laughs> troll demons or whatever. These are not little spirits running around messing with people. These are world-ruling forces that sit in thrones and blanket the whole earth with their influence. The only way to really get freed up from these things is by deep repentance. People that just want to point at it and say, in Jesus' name I command you to go, you know, that has its place for sure. But as long as you've got stuff in you that these things are tapped into, you're never really going to be free. This isn't something like casting out a demon per se. This is breaking free from the influence of the enemy. You remember Jesus said, Satan is coming, but he has nothing in me. 
This is where you let the Lord so deeply purge you that the devil doesn't have anything in you to exploit, okay? So these are three spirits that are end-time spirits. So those that have studied Revelation, you're going to kind of see, as I talk about this, the, the influence in the last days. These have to do with the rise of the false prophet and the Antichrist and all of that, okay? But Satan is in the center. He gives his false light, his false revelation. And it's like this demonic counterfeit thing. And his premier, y'all hear what I'm saying? His premier spirit that's like at the right hand of the enemy is a spirit called Baal in the Bible. Now Baal also can be known as Baphomet or the go to Mendes. But this spirit is exactly what you see in the insignia of the church of Satan. And by this picture here of what's known as Baphomet or the go to Mendes. This is the spirit of Baal. It's very ancient. It's very powerful. This spirit has to do with false worship. Y'all follow me to not lock in. Don't get distracted. This has to do with false worship, idolatry, false religions, antichrist, and the occult. This is the premier spirit behind Freemasonry. This is the strongman. Every form of false worship in the earth goes back to this spirit and ultimately back to the devil. So those that worship in Islam don't realize that in actual fact their false worship to a false god ends up going back to an ancient Baal spirit which goes back to Satan himself. Same thing with every other religion. In every form of counterfeit Christianity like Mormonism and, and things like that. But anywhere that you see idolatry, occult practices, false worship, Baal is behind it. And the only way to truly break free from Baal's influence is to do like Gideon did. You're going to have to tear down the altars that you and your ancestors have made and you're going to have to bring the blood of Jesus Christ over it and cancel it. So those that have had Freemasonry in their ancestry, the strong man you need to deal with is Baal, and it's there. Many times people don't realize that they're wrestling, like a grappling with unseen forces. It's things that seem to, to hinder them from forward progression. They seem like they have the most difficult time breaking free. But it is things that's been in their ancestry and traveled down the bloodline that go back to these other religions. And it's altars that their family has made to other gods. Maybe they have a parent or a grandparent or a great-grandparent that has been involved in witchcraft or you could say Freemasonry or whatever else. But they got mixed up in stuff that brought this curse and brought this spirit. And there's got to be a canceling of that. It's like the altars have got to be torn down. And the blood of Jesus cleanse all of that junk. And then you can take authority and break the power of it and command it to leave you.
But that is the principal spirit. This Baal spirit, if you go down his right hand of Baal, you're going to see the queen of heaven, which is Jezebel. This has to do with Revelation 17 and 18. The horror of Babylon is Jezebel. Or you could say Asherah. Have you noticed that down through the ages, I, I'm trying to condense all of this, but you always see Baal and Asherah. You always see like, um, you know, the, the male and female counterpart in Egypt with Osiris, Isis. You see these different ones. There's always this male and female counterpart. Well, this is the queen of heaven is the female, and this is Jezebel. And then this sphere of this spirit, the queen of heaven spirit, you're going to see things like Jezebel and Ahab very strong. You see things like sexual lusts that are very strong. Seduction. Not just sexual seduction, but there's a strong seduction toward the occult. There's a strong seduction toward false teachings. It is a deceiving spirit that tries to, you know, like seduce people. You're going to see strong rebellion against authority. Rebellion against God. Rebellion against His Word. And some of these places, I'll never understand it. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but, you know, even in Roman Catholicism, I don't understand how they feel comfortable with erecting all of the idolatry that they have and bowing down to it and kissing it and worshiping it and praying to it when the Bible says you will not make a graven image. And that, has, that right there gives a legal permission for Baal and Jezebel to come right in on that idolatry. And anytime you see Jezebel, you're going to see ungodly manipulation and control. You're going to see illegitimate authority. People that usurp authority and get into authority that have no business being in authority, they manipulated their way there, and now they're in authority. Most common, you see that in a family structure where the wife wears the pants and the husband is subservient. That is an illegitimate authority. It's a Jezebel spirit. Also, you're going to see a strong spirit of whoredoms. In the Bible, whoredoms has to do with continually backsliding. Being unfaithful to God. It has to do with adultery. It has to do with idolatry. Being unfaithful to God. Being unfaithful to people. Being unfaithful to marriage vows. It's a spirit of whoredoms. I wish I had more time it, it, would, it would go into rabbit trails that would be too long. But things like Lilith and Seder, very sexual, very occult. Without, I, I'm in a pulpit, so I'm trying to be careful what I say. But incubus, succubus, things in the night, it's satanic. This falls under this category. Also, python, divination. The python spirit is in the Bible in Acts chapter 16. And it talks about Paul said that this woman had a spirit of python and it predicted the future. So this has to do with divination. It has to do with things like palm reading and crystal ball reading and fortune telling and, 
And maybe you could include in that various forms of trying to consult the dead or, you know, Ouija, but whatever it is where you're trying to get information. This is a python spirit. The python spirit is very strong and it will come in, hear what I'm saying, and it will pretend to be the Holy Spirit. And people, it, trust me, it is very subtle. You really have to be in prayer and you have to be close to the Lord because it will slither up and begin to whisper very gently to people and they'll think that it's the Lord. You better make sure that you're listening to the Lord. And that comes by prayer because the Bible says by constant use you, do, you train your inner senses to discern good from evil. I mean, we have the word of God, but we've got to develop our inner man in our inner senses to know what's of God and what's not. It's from being intimate with the Lord. As I spend every day with the Holy Spirit, and I know his voice, I know his presence, and because of that, I know when there's another spirit at work. But if I was to get out of that for a long period of time, people can get dull and desensitized. And pretty soon, they may listen to things that are not the Lord. Now that's the queen of heaven. That's Jezebel, and that is connected to Baal. Y'all give me a few more minutes to talk about this. So if you look on that side of the triangle, from Baal down to the queen of heaven, that side of the triangle is going to be what empowers the false prophet. The false prophet will be somebody like a pope. He's going to be somebody that is a very well-respected religious leader. The Bible says that he will look like the lamb, but he will speak like the dragon. So in other words, he's going to look like Jesus or a person that is associated with Jesus, but yet he speaks like a dragon. He's, Satan speaks through it. But the false prophet will come to power, and he's going to be a religious leader. And he's going to be very powerful with the devil. He's going to be basically like a male witch, but he's going to look like, hear what I'm saying, this is the great deception. Everybody's going to think he's a religious leader. I personally believe they're going to think he's a Christian. But all the while, he is basically a very powerful warlock. And he's going to be able to have such power with the devil. Revelation 13 says this, that he's going to be able to call down fire from heaven in full view, in full view of men. And he's going to be able to perform great signs and wonders as to deceive the world. Where does he get the power for these counterfeit signs and wonders and miracles and, and even making the image of the beast? You know what the image of the beast is? I'm not trying to get too deep into end time prophecy. But the, the beast is the Antichrist. This is going to be some kind of a statue that either looks like the Antichrist or is directly associated with him. But the false prophet will have so much power with the devil. He's going to be able to make that statue speak. And that side of, of this triangle is going to have everything to do with this false prophet coming to power. Great deception. He's going to operate in strong witchcraft. Strong witchcraft. And see, here's what's happening. People that refuse to listen to true men and women of God that are preaching in the true church, they're dabbling in all types of occult practices now. They're dabbling in it through movies. They're dabbling in it through games. 
And they're opening themselves up to all kinds of spiritual influence in their life that is demonic. And they don't even know it. They're sleeping around now like never before. They're messing around with all kinds of recreational drugs. They're cutting and marking up their body. They're doing all kinds of things that is defiling them and opening them up to spiritual influence. And I'm saying this as clear as somebody can say it. When the false prophet comes on the scene, their minds are going to come under his influence like that. It's going to be no problem at all for the false prophet to put, put that on their mind and them to get sucked in because they've opened themselves up to so much spiritual darkness. And week after week, True faithful preachers have been telling people, get away from this stuff. Get away from the occult. Repent of these things. Get this junk out of your life. They don't want to hear it. They're getting infested. And so that side of the triangle, the false prophet comes to power. He's a religious leader. He's going to unite the religions of the world. There's going to be a strong counterfeit Christianity that is that the world is going to believe is Christianity but it has nothing to do with Jesus Christ it does not require a new birth it does not require any repentance of sin it does not adhere to the word of God whatsoever it does not submit itself to God's true fivefold ministry it is some hybrid thing that has got all kinds of weird a mixture in it with witchcraft and they're, they're, they're connected with all these other religions and they're all like one. It's going to be this counterfeit Christianity. That's very com it, That counterfeit Christianity is going to be very comfortable with abortion. It's going to be very comfortable with all kinds of sexual immorality. But that false prophet is going to be over that um, religious system. Revelation 17. And you can see that Satan has been moving in this way for a long time. It's not new at all. For decades, there's been a uniting of religions. There's been a counterfeit form of Christianity that's been emerging, especially connected to the political scene and Hollywood and other scenes where people say that they're a Christian, but everything about them screams that they're not a Christian. And they also, this counterfeit Christianity, will strongly persecute real Christians. But that religious system, that false prophet, he will be used of the devil to release something out over the nation spiritually in all the people that have been worshiping other gods and they've been mixed up in all this weird stuff and med transcendental meditation and yoga. They've been mixed up in the occult and they've been messing around with all this weird stuff. That false prophet's going to tap into them. No problem. And what's he going to do? He's going to begin to turn everybody's attention and affections toward the Antichrist. And there's going to come a man who is going to emerge and he's going to be very charismatic and he's going to be somebody that Satan is really empowered. The Bible calls him the Antichrist. He's going to be a political figure. This is Revelation 18. And this has to do with Leviathan. So the other side of the triangle now, from Baal down to Leviathan, has to do with the rise of the Antichrist. The beast there that has seven heads and ten horns 
is a picture and type of Leviathan. Are y'all hearing me? The beast that has seven heads and ten horns is a picture and type of Leviathan. The seven heads, I believe, have to do with some kind of seven really world-ruling powerful spirits. But the ten horns have to do with ten land masses. You know, whenever you say principality, Christians think of principalities in the heavens, right? But also the word principality has to do with a land mass. There's going to be ten sections of the world that are going to be key. They're going to be significant landmass nations. That there will be a principality over that landmass, but they will submit themselves to the Antichrist, and he'll rule over them. And through that, he's going to rule the world. Three of them will try to buck up against that, but he'll conquer them military in a military uh, war, and he'll make them subservient. But there's going to be ten horns to this beast but here's the dangerous thing see Leviathan has everything to do with pride the Bible says Leviathan rules over the children of pride and if you read Job I believe it's chapter 40 there's a mention of Leviathan in Isaiah but Leviathan is a powerful it's seen as some kind of a mythical like sea monster and it's got multiple heads but it is a strong spirit of pride and what Leviathan is is a destroyer many times when Satan is going to attack there's a curse called death and destruction curse but Leviathan is the one that carries those things out There's a lot I could say about Leviathan. I'm trying not to rabbit trail, just be led by the Lord about what I tell you. But this is an end time spirit. It's very powerful. If you look back up at the top of this and you see that pentagram with the goat's head in it, around the, the five points, of, that's the insignia that the church of Satan and others use. Around the five points there, it spells in Hebrew Leviathan. This is a powerful occult spirit. Very powerful. I believe that Baal is over the nations. It affects economy. It affects the world religions. It's a far-reaching influence. It has tentacles down into the medical system. It's got tentacles down into our economy. Baal is a world ruling. It's got tentacles everywhere. Politically, everywhere. Education. But the queen of heaven, Jezebel really comes against the prophetic word of the Lord, comes against revival fire, the spirit of Elijah, a message of repentance. You hear what I'm saying? Leviathan targets the glory. Do you remember when, when Lucifer was in heaven? It said he walked among the fiery stones. He was right there at the throne of God. I could talk a little bit about that, but I don't want to belabor it. But he, he is not just an angel. Lucifer is a cherub. The cherubim. You, you say cherubim, whatever. But the cherubim. He's a cherub. He's, a, he's one of those beings in the Bible that had the four faces. And they, they were around the throne. And just like in the tabernacle, the ark had the, the two 
cherubim on each side. That was Lucifer. He's one of those. He was probably their leader. But he walked among the fiery stones. He's right there at the throne. But at some point in time, Lucifer began to see himself as being so beautiful. He saw how God had made him. He got lifted up with pride. And then he rebelled. Pride leads to rebellion every time. The great stronghold in many people's lives is pride, and they don't even know it. Pride causes people to be insecure. Pride causes people to um, have a very difficult time being free in their worship. It causes people to have a difficult time praying. It causes people to, to feel like that there's some kind of a block between them and the Lord. Pride it, it is, a, is a formidable foe. I mean, it, it operates in so many different ways. But somebody that's proud usually doesn't even realize that they are, but they have all these different struggles in their life because of pride. It's the outworking of pride. And in the Bible, when it talked about the dragon that was trying to destroy the woman, remember that, well, the child coming out, and I believe it's Revelation 12, that's another depiction of this Leviathan, this, this, this large serpent-like spirit. But Leviathan hinders prayers. Did you know that this structure right here, these three world-ruling spirits, they form a stronghold, and you know what their number one goal is? To block the promises of God and to hinder your prayers from being answered. To stop finances from getting to God's people. To stop people from getting their healing or their breakthrough. It tries to lock things up and hinder. And you know what it's trying to do? Wear out the saints. Leviathan. Again, I want to say this real clear. Leviathan also works in connection with Python. Both of these do. I should have put it over here too. But see, there's a voice. Leviathan has this voice, this python-type thing that whispers to people and tries to lead them astray. See, pride leads into great deception. Here's some other things I need to say before I end this, is that this Leviathan spirit operates as the accuser of the brethren. That's its strongest office. So Leviathan will accuse God to your mind and try to get you offended with God. If God is really who he said he is, then this wouldn't be happening. I've prayed about this. Why hasn't God done it? Leviathan, that's pride. That is the pride that, that causes people to begin to think that we have the right to judge God. That's Leviathan. Leviathan will also accuse you to each other. It slithers in like a python and whispers in somebody's mind, can you believe the way they looked at you? They've been over there talking about you. And next thing you know, you're ticked off at somebody. And that spirit is slithering over here and getting them mad at you. This, hear what I'm about to say. This spirit is behind all the strife and the division among God's people. And because of division, Leviathan comes in and its tail will sweep in and cause widespread major destruction in churches. And you know how we, we the, the terminology we use, church splits. It's Leviathan. 
Many times, because of Leviathan, it will target the people. It's, it strategizes. How can we take down this church? It will target people that finance it. And it will target prayer warriors in the church. It targets the certain people because it wants to take down a church completely and make it shut its doors. This is the spirit behind criticism. There's some people out there that they base their whole so-called ministry on being critical of other ministries. And I hope that they hear me say this, but you don't have a ministry of God what your ministry is a ministry of a demon spirit you're serving a spirit named leviathan that spirit of leviathan has wrapped you up like a mantle and is using you your tongue has been lit like in the book of james with the fires of hell you're getting all kinds of critical accusing false information in your mind and what you're doing is you're serving satan not god and your job before satan is to divide god's people to deter them from every revival, to try to have God's people pitted against each other, and to cause widespread confusion and destruction among God's people. If you get into heaven, and that's a big if, your judgment will be very severe if you don't repent now from what you're doing. So it is a critical spirit. It is divisive, and it causes widespread confusion. It is a counterfeit voice. These things hate to be exposed. I thank God for you watchmen. Because of your prayers and fasting, these type of messages can go out. It's a corporate thing, I'm just telling you. But Leviathan is a strong force. And I believe that's been one of the spirits that has been in this region. These spirits are connected to Freemasonry. They're connected to other things that's in this region. I've talked a lot about religious witchcraft. Look at that side of the triangle with Baal and Jezebel. You have religious witchcraft. That's been pervasive in this region. And because of this structure in the heavens over this region, and because Leviathan has managed to keep so much division and has been trying to stomp out every revival, which I've already talked more in depth about than I'm going to get into tonight, but whether it's through physical sickness, whether it's through finances that have been, you know, taken away or whatever, there's been destroyed relationships. The, this spirit has been stomping through trying to put out every fire of revival in this region, I believe, throughout the nation. But the good news is, I believe the Lord, let me read the scripture again I started with. When God's people pray and cry out, Here's the Lord's response. Just like in the days of Gideon. The people were oppressed by the Midianites. And they began to cry out to the Lord. Here's what's about to happen. The breaker. The Messiah. Who opens the way. He shall go up before them liberating them. He will break out. Pass through the gate and go out. So their king goes before them. The Lord at their head. The Lord is about to show up. And he's about to break through. But here's what we've got to do. Repentance. Just like Gideon, we've got to make sure that the blood of Jesus 
is over every place of our lives. And there's no place we haven't repented. There's about four areas of basic, you know, four pillars of deliverance, if you will. The first one has to do with false gods. Is there in your life or your ancestry idolatry? Idolatry is rampant in Catholicism. Are there altars to other gods? Freemasonry, they bow to an altar, put their hand on a Bible, and swear these blood-curdling oaths to the gods of Freemasonry. Are there false religions in your ancestry? Is there occult practices? Freemasonry, yoga, occult powers. Are there things that are in your bloodline or in your past? Just like Gideon, we got to get it under the blood and repent of it and break the power of this. The second thing, sexual sins. Is there fornication that's been in your life? That's sex before marriage. Adultery. Pornography. Unnatural sex. Even sexual satanic rituals. Is there anything in your past that has opened you up to something? And sex, and it's not limited to sex, but there's what's called soul ties. I would say that sometimes ties are more than just a soul tie. It can seem to be affect people even more deeply than just that. But it's not just limited to sex. Sex will form a tie. It forms some kind of a soulish, spiritual connection with another person. And through that tunnel that's created, all kinds of pollution can flow into your life until that thing is severed. And people that are sleeping around everywhere, if you don't deal with these different ties in your life, you've got all kinds of funnels of things flowing in your life. But it's not limited to sex because there are people that have strange relationships with maybe parents or, or others in their life. And it could even be with spouses or whatever. But there's strange relationships where somebody has such a control over you that it has formed a tie. And that has got to be severed that strange control that they exert over you, over your mind, over your emotions, that is like a soul tie. And they can manipulate you. They can play you. They can get you to feel sorry for them when they want to. They can be mean another time, but they know how to turn you to the left and to the right at their bidding. And they've got a control over you. And I, I'll just say it. The Bible, if you study the Word of God... That what I just described is witchcraft control over a person. And that's like a tie. That has got to be severed and you've got to free yourself from that. And there's people out there that have unhealthy, strange relationships with like a mother that is extremely controlling and manipulative. And you've got to break that. Honor your parents, but don't submit to witchcraft control. The next one is this pillar has to do with bloodshed. In your life or your family, has there been abortion or murder or violent crimes or racial violence or gang activity or maybe satanic rituals that involve uh, shedding of blood, marking and cutting up the body? I have seen people delivered from demonic spirits 
that came into their life from cutting up, marking up, and piercing up their bodies. I've seen it. It came in because of those things, and I drove those spirits out of their life. Be careful with what you do with your body because you can open yourself up to evil spirits. And also I mentioned whoredoms. Broken vows and covenants in your life and in your family ancestry is their broken vows, broken marital vows, unfaithfulness, adultery, backsliding, idolatry, being unfaithful to God and being unfaithful to people. That's whoredoms. And the last thing I would say is you better make sure and keep your home spiritually clean. Because if the devil can find a way in, he'll find a way in. So make sure and get all this stuff out of your home and keep it out. But I believe that God is going to use River of Life in this last revival that we're going to see before the Lord comes. I believe it could span many years. It's going to be a major move. It's going to be something that's all over the world. But I believe God's going to use us and many others to see people set free. The grave clothes are going to come off. They're going to accept the Lord, raised from the dead spiritually, but the Lord himself is going to strip away every bit of these grave clothes. And God is going to liberate them, but they need to understand what they're coming up against. And God's going to use places as revival breaks out a lot of this embarrassing, embarrassingly shallow baby teaching that's been out there. It's been popular now for a decade or so. A lot of that's going to go out the window because people are going to be tired of it because it didn't help anybody. All it is is motivational speeches. People are going to once again turn and they're going to want not only the pure word of God, but they're going to want meat. They're going to want to mature and grow up and know the word. And God's going to raise up people that are going to preach it straight. And so this Baal, Queen of Heaven, Leviathan stronghold, we've got to make sure that we deal with it. And what I felt as I close this with this, I felt pride needed to be prayed about. Pride leads to rebellion. It's a block. People that are proud are way too caught up with what others think. The fear of man. Somebody that's a proud person will never witness because they're afraid of rejection. They're too concerned about what the person thinks. Somebody that's proud, they'll never be free in their worship. Somebody that's proud, they're always worried about what others are thinking about them. But pride comes in all these different categories, whether it be, you know, being sucked into deception but pride causes great destruction. The Bible says that. It says that pride comes before destruction. A proud person will have cycles of widespread destruction in their life. And then it'll go on, then another cycle of widespread destruction in their life. And it comes before fall. Pride will cause people to continually fall and struggle with sin. A proud person will never really bow their knee completely to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't have it figured out. I don't have it all together. Forgive me, I repent, and they'll do what, you know, a humble person will really do whatever it takes to be right with Jesus. But an arrogant person, uh, somebody that's got pride in them, 
They'll, they only bow the knee to the Lord because they want his blessing. But they never really truly surrender everything to him. But this is how we're going to overcome in these latter days. Is by humbling ourselves. The same thing I've been speaking for now for probably a year or two. Humility. Prayer and fasting. Giving. And consecrating our lives. A proud person will have a problem with different aspects. Like for example about giving. They're not going to do it. Pride. They'll have a problem with other things. They'll have a problem with maybe getting on their face. And really uh, crying out to God. Because they don't want other people to hear that. You hear what I'm saying? Pride will hinder people from really going after God. And I'll close with this story and then we'll pray. There was a guy talking about pride. He had status in the community. And, you know, he made a lot of money. Well, a revival broke out. It was a major move of God. And his children were there and they started getting hit by the power of God. And they were being thrown to the ground. They were weeping and crying and getting, you know, the sin out of their lives. And they were really falling in love with the Lord, but the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. You know, things like falling or shaking or crying or whatever. And he basically told the pastor, he said, I love you and I love you know, what God's doing, but he said, because of my status in the community, I can't have my kids doing this. So he left the church. Sadly, taking his children out of the revival ended up, in the long run, that they aren't even serving the Lord. You see, it didn't end up well. Why? Pride. Pride will cause somebody that if you have two options in front of them, pride will cause somebody to almost always choose the wrong thing. And they'll end up making just stupid decisions that will ruin their life and the lives of their kids. But it's rooted in pride. If they would just humble themselves down to the dirt and say, Lord, change me. I think the greatest thing that any of us can do is really come to the realization that every one of us are a lot more full of sin and junk than we could ever imagine. And when we get down on our face and say, Lord, have mercy on me. Forgive me. Please change me. Don't just forgive me, but change me. Take out of me what needs to go. See, pride is an iniquity in people. It's an iniquity drive. It's something in somebody that God needs to reach down in and pull that junk out of you where it stops controlling you. Because iniquity in people, it, it like has some kind of power that pulls their life different directions until it's removed. So here's what I want to do. I want to spend just a couple minutes praying about pride. And then if people want prayer tonight, I'd be happy to pray with everybody that wants prayer. And I believe the Holy Spirit's really going to move. Can we get my wife out? But I want us to really pray about pride tonight. Let's just find a place and ask the Lord, forgive me for all the pride. Have I had pride in my thinking? Have I had pride in the way that I look at things? Have I had pride in the way that I hear things? Has there been pride in the words of my mouth? Have I had a proud heart? Is there anything in my life that has been proud? Just where you're at. Just make an altar. Let's begin to pray. You can kneel. You can get on your face however you want to do it. But just ask the Lord to come in and forgive you and cleanse you.
from all of the pride, all the junk, 